tell me a little bit about your your road to CPO. Yeah, sure. I will. Firstly, thank you for for having me here. So um, yeah, it's a pleasure to come and come and chat about these sorts of things. So just to talk about my road, how I got to CPO. You know, I, I started out as a PM probably about twelve years ago, and my early career was in the games industry, so social games, mobile games. Um, and that was where I got all the fundamentals of, of being a, an individual contributor. So learning how to work with a tech team, speaking to customers, running A-B tests, all that sort of thing. And after about four or five years of doing that, I decided it's time to get out of games. I wanted to go a bit broader with the industries that I've worked with. And I moved to, to Rocket Internet and started building companies um, for them. Um, that gave me a load of, of marketplace experience. It meant that I was occasionally working in a sort of player coach role, starting to manage uh, other PMs. And um, when I moved back to London a little while later, which was mainly for personal reasons, that then was the springboard for me to get my first kind of proper uh, management role as head of product at Teapot. So that was the first time that I wasn't doing any individual contributor work myself. I was just managing, coaching the teams that I had. And I was at Depop for two and a half years from just after the time that they closed their Series B, right through to about 10 months before they sold out to Etsy. Um, and that was just a tremendous learning experience. You know, I, I started, as I say, it was my first real line management role. Uh, very quickly, I was put on the leadership team, representing the whole product function. Um, I was promoted to director and it, it just gave me a huge amount of experience in terms of building a product function, um, you know, setting a strategy across multiple teams, like building the processes that you needed to have reliable, you know, impactful output. Um, and, and when I left, then I went to, to FutureLearn, another marketplace, but I'd already been speaking to some of the members of the exec there and they were talking about uh, that this role was a pathway to becoming CPO. Um, I went in as a, as a director and really working then with the director of engineering, the director of design, we made quite a lot of changes to how the whole of product tech worked overall. They were both fairly new themselves. And as a result, you know, we had, we delivered some, some big projects internally that were like, technically quite challenging. Um, and the most comparable things that the company had done had just taken much, much longer. And that also led us to seeing some quite significant increases in revenue. And that actually then effectively was the, the mandate I had to become CPO about six months after I joined. So at that point, I was actually stepping up into a CPTO role. So I wasn't just running product, but engineering and design, uh, as well as uh, customer service were also reporting into me as well. So a real baptism, a very quick baptism of fire from being an individual contributor to then running everything at Depop and then not just moving into that CPO role that, that you know, is really top of the food chain, but then taking on technology and, and design and everything else as well. Um, so I suppose it starts from the individual contributor switch to then managing product. Um, and becoming a head of and managing teams. How was that transition initially? Yeah, it's that's one of the, the bigger transitions, right? Going from IC to being 
uh, a line manager. And I think it's it comes as a bit of a shock, certainly for me, and I think for a lot of people, because you're so used to just getting your hands dirty and getting stuck in and making things happen. And by the time you get promoted, you're pretty good at that. Like you can make things happen by getting involved. And so suddenly you're, you're kind of, you're taking your best skills, you're kind of like your most useful tools out of your toolkit and kind of saying, right, you can't use them anymore. And so that's, it's a big reset to then have this sort of layer of indirect control where to get anything to happen, you've got to convince someone who is you know, by definition more junior, less experienced probably than you. Um, you've got to convince them the right thing to do, like what they need to say to their team to get things moving in the right direction. Um, so yeah, that's that's certainly certainly a challenge. And then, so I, I've, I've recruited in product for, for three years um, at varying levels. So I'm fortunate enough that I get to speak to everybody you know, depending on on what the market's saying and, and what's out there. There are a lot of heads of, I know, who are maybe at startups at the moment or scaling scaling businesses. They report to a CEO. They see themselves as a, as a CPO as such. Um, same with, with directors, VPs. Titles are really meaningless, I think, until mm. until you get to the to the very top or, or you know, you, you recognize where you are in another company. What did you notice about the nuances between kind of head of director level VP? What, how would you define the differences between? Yeah, yeah, I, I think you're right. Like the titles will vary a lot from company to company depending on what stage it's at. But I think there's sort of fundamentally four different roles um, that you can have in the product ladder. So your first one is PM, you know, junior product manager, associate product manager, right through to senior product manager, lead product manager. That is working in a single you know, cross-functional team with engineers, with designers, shipping features, great. Your next step up is your line management role. So that could be a head of, that could be a group product manager role. And there you are kind of doing this thing where you are getting impact in teams but indirectly. So you're doing, you're coaching, uh, you're hiring people and you're doing performance management. The third layer, which is the next one above that is then often your sort of director VP level where you're not only kind of doing that hiring and managing direct reports, but you get more into the sort of systems design of, of managing a product organization at scale. So defining what does a product review look like? How are we going to document our PRDs? Like what does the quarterly planning cycle look like? And then you get into sort of more holistic questions of resource allocation and strategy about you know how are you going to deploy your teams against the things that are really important um to to get done the fourth and the final stage for me is like this sort of cpo level and there you're becoming much more of a, a t-shaped executive so it's not just about product management anymore you've got to be able to extract all the levels all the lessons that you've learned from product management uh, to leading other functions where you won't have the same deep expertise. So can you manage a design department, engineering, maybe community management, maybe marketing even? You know, again, it depends on the on the company. But for how, that how did you, sorry, yeah. how, how did you find that when if you've not managed those functions before? How much of a, a shock to the system was it? Or did it come quite naturally? How how did you take to it? I think that's that's the next really big transition. And honestly, that's probably as big as 
go from not being a PM to being a PM. So I think it's one of the biggest transitions in in uh, in the career path. Um, yeah, it is quite a shock to the system. And I think what you've got to realize is that, you know, the VPs, directors reporting into you, they basically know what they're doing. Like they should be able to run a design department, an engineering department on their own. So you don't need to tell them like technically what they should be doing. What you need to be able to do is define what good looks like and then be able to, you know, audit what they're doing and make sure that they are consistently delivering what good looks like. So that's always much more of a yeah, collaborative conversation where you're talking to them like, hey, what do you think this looks like? And you're, you're kind of explaining the context of the company and the commercial results that you want. And then you're seeing um, what they come back with in terms of how they're proposing to deliver that. And that, that big, that kind of what good looks like picture, is that from quite a broad perspective of the overall the overall picture or does do you get so in my mind and this is why i'm asking this what looks good to product might not look good to engineering might not look good to mm. design they might have their own nuances their own their own kind of versions of it and if you're coming from a product perspective how do you translate what looks good to two departments that you've, you've not really worked in so much um, yeah. Is it from a big picture kind of end goal perspective, or do you work with them very closely to understand what they need from everything? Yeah, and and again, like you, you can almost get a parallel of this at the team level when you're when you're when you're a PM, right? When you when you challenge your technical lead, you don't need to understand the architecture that they're proposing. True. What you need to have is like confidence that they've really thought it through. So similarly, if you're a CPO, like when I was CPO and I was speaking to my VP of engineering, then I didn't try and understand the technical stack or like take a course on technical architecture. What I did was sort of I'd, I'd get her to explain why she'd come to, you know, why she'd propose the solution she was proposing. And I'd ask her to talk me through the alternatives that she considered and why she discarded them. And I'd get her to talk me through the trade-offs that we were making by taking this solution rather than one of the others. And you know, how she was gonna manage her direct reports and make sure they actually delivered on it in the timeframe she expected. So it's like those more general leadership questions that you can then ask, which typically give you a good sense of whether you're going down the right path or whether you 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 need to kind of reconsider. Yeah. And so it's it's a huge, it's a huge mindset shift from the very start of being right okay i'm head of product here's my focus um this is what i need to get to grips with managing people how am i going to do that there's, there's so much depth to just managing a team um while proving that you're still capable of delivering as well then all of a sudden you move up up the rung again um which i'm sure i mean it, it's, it's the same with any industry right it's not just products but the more you progress there has to be a mindset shift there has to be something in you that goes right switch on or switch off or turn that on turn that off what do you think is needed in that journey from from kind of an internal perspective from a mindset shift yeah um it is a mindset shift because i think you need to be both more respectful of the people reporting into you and also firmer almost and almost because of that right when you're when you're managing a PM as a group product manager, then a lot of what you're doing is you're kind of showing them exactly what you've done in the past and saying like, hey, 
you've never written a PRD before, let's write this together. Okay, here's what you put here. This is the template and everything else. And you can't have that conversation with, say, a VP of engineering when you know, you're not going to be able to comment effectively on the architecture they've got. You can only ask these kind of challenging questions. So you've got to be able to respect that they can do their job or be able to understand, you know, what are the alternatives you've got? Do you need to replace them somehow? And at the same time, I think what that means is you're going to let them do their thing, but you need to have a very high bar for, for delivery and like hold them to account because, again, if you're not holding them to a high level of performance, then they're not going to hold their teams to a high level of performance and it will decay further down the, the hierarchy. And it, going off, off on a tangent ever so slightly, talking about managing VPs of engineering and VPs of design. More often than not, I suppose these are colleagues, former colleagues. If you've if you've been promoted into a CPTO role, these are people that actually you were at that level with, you'd all and you know, I'm not saying you ever moaned about, you know, certain things at work. I'm not saying I ever moan for anyone watching this about things at work, but there are always things that you know you, you lean on your your closest peers for. How how did you find kind of stepping up into being the boss? Uh, Nerve wracking um, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so uh, as I mentioned, at FutureLearn, I started out as director of products. There was a director of engineering and a director of design there, and they'd both been in the company. I think four or five months each. They were, they were both quite new. So that meant that as I was stepping in, there was natural allies. We knew there were things we wanted to change about the company because we had those, that fresh set of eyes. Um, but also I was in a natural place to sort of lead that group and get their buy-in about some of the changes that we, that we wanted to make. And then uh, when I got promoted to uh, CPO, I think, I think that was it was natural because I hadn't only been doing things inside the product organization. I'd been doing things like driving the OKR process across the whole company and presenting sort of large parts of the company strategy. So I already had a kind of broader um, remit and profile than just the product tech organization. Um, when I actually made that transition, then obviously the first thing I did was go and have a chat with them and see how they were feeling and, yeah, they, were, they were very nice about it. We had like a good kind of personal relationship. Um, but yeah, I just made it clear. I was like, look, I'm not going to tell you what to do, right? Because you're, you're a better designer than me. You're a better engineer than me. Like that's, that's not going to work, clearly. So um, it really started from that point of yeah, mutual respect. that effectively I said, look, we've got a really good dynamic working here. It's the three of us. And I'm not really going to change that. I'm going to be going to some meetings that you're not going to be at because I'll be at the board meetings and so on. But basically, I'm going to come back with the problems that they've set us and we're going to solve them as a trio. And nice. Very nice. It, it, it did sort of, you know, gradually the, the kind of the dynamic between us like did subtly shift. Um, but that really yeah, was sort of the basis of it. And yeah, it, it, it actually worked pretty well. Um, awesome. Okay. Um, and then anybody that not I mean look well, I think it's I think it's a probably one of the biggest parts of moving into management is understanding that especially when you go from in in the case of product uh, 
uh, an IT role into management and then you know you've moved from management into a, a more senior role you're not one of one of the guys that's there I don't know the best way to describe it this is where there'll be a pause in the uh, in the, in the <laughs> film and then edit um, or I might leave it in just for authenticity um, but you're not for lack of a better phrase you know one of the guys you know you're 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 there to set the standard you're there to 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 show people what good looks like to coin the phrase that that you know you, you used a little earlier um what how difficult is that first of all to to get that shift or i suppose you may have found it quite natural it might it might have been quite easy for you but did you have to pinch yourself a couple of times and go right head on because you're falling into a bit of a trap? Yeah, I don't. I don't think anyone finds it natural. I haven't spoken to anyone on a really personal level who doesn't suffer from some level of imposter syndrome. Doesn't kind of wonder if they're doing the right thing at the right time. Um, yeah, you know, being being a good leader is not the same as being a good peer or a good friend. You know, and I kind of quickly realized, you know, you go to a social event, you make sure you buy the first round for everyone, you have a drink <laughs> with everyone, and then you leave, right? And, <laughs> and you've got to have that balance of sort of being a team player and getting on with everyone, but also giving people space to kind of, like, you know, air their grievances that they, they're going to have, right? So um, I think it also is, it certainly felt for me like it was higher stakes all the time because there are just so many more eyes on you. And it's not like, oh, I'm giving my product review you know, today and there's gonna be 10 people watching. It's like, well, I'm running the product review and every single slot that is on there needs to work. Otherwise people are gonna ask, what am I doing? And why have I hired these people? So um, yeah, it, it's challenging for sure. Um, and I think when you get to that, that level, then you hear people talking a lot more about how do you maintain your your personal energy levels and your motivation because that becomes such a, a high, you know, a large part of the role is you've got to bring your kind of your game face all the time and you've got to lead from the front, you've got to be high energy, you've got to be professional, you've got to do things to high quality. So there are plenty of little traps to fall into along the way then. There are plenty of little red herrings or blind spots that people can fall into what what are some of the other and i'm gonna i'm gonna say traps again because i think that you know on a it doesn't matter before i got into recruitment i had another job i worked my way up the mm. ladder i fell into plenty of traps moving into a leadership position i was running somebody's business for them um for those watching i was a world world level bartender you give me a bottle and tea and i'll throw them around all day that kind of stuff um, and I ended up, ended up running a, a business and I fell into traps there. I've come into recruitment, started kind of moving up the rung a little bit. And there are different traps that I fall into, but I'm still at times kind of pinching myself to, to stop doing it. What are the, especially, especially from that head of through to director, through to VP, through to CPO, what are some of the traps that either you experienced, you fell into or that you've, you've seen others fall into? that they could avoid um i think i think there's a couple of different things here so i think in that sort of stage where you're at the director vp level and you're really looking to make your case for 
moving on to the exec, then there are a few things that you need to be able to show that you've got. So you, you've got to have like just a very, very clear ability to deliver um, large projects, you know, significant things that deliver significant impact. Um, that is absolute table stakes. And unless you can do that, you can forget about anything else. Once you've got that, then you should be able to build some you know, real trust with the CEO and the exec because they will value for the ability to, to deliver real impact. And that is another kind of really critical step that you've mm -hmm. got to have those relationships. Um, and you should also be able to start building credibility across the rest of the organization, which is then a combination of saying you can deliver impact, but you can also be mindful of other people's uh, points of view and motivations. So just because you push through a new payment system or something, you didn't trample all over marketing's plan and what they needed to deliver their results. Um, and the other thing I think that's kind of useful to think about is, you know, headcount and organization management becomes such a an important part of your, your role. And it's less about, do you have a great team? And it's more thinking long-term, okay, wait a sec, if I get promoted to CPO, who's going to be doing my job? And if that's promoting a group product manager up to director level, who's going to be doing their job? And so you, you get into sort of succession planning and thinking about the organization just a different way than you do when you're like, right, eight and a half, four PMs, I've got three, I'm looking for one PM, go. It's, it's a very complex, um, very complex journey because there's no, there's no right or wrong way to navigate yourselves around this. And um, it, it's, the higher, the more you go into it, when you mentioned there about succession planning and that's just one part of something that's not really anything to do with the core part of your day so i'm guessing that there are lots of little things that come out the woodwork that you're now responsible for that perhaps you didn't even think about um how how do you balance that how do you balance that time how do you deal with those things when they come up yeah and and i think that's probably the the biggest challenge when again when you when you do make that move to cpo um if you just had to do sort of what your job description said actually it'd be fairly easy you know because by that point you can come up with a strategy you can design the organization you can hire people that's sort of kind of stuff that you've spent you know two three years effectively at that point what is difficult is that you have a constant stream of you know, more or less conflicting signals from the board and the CEO, like no matter how kind of aligned they are about, oh, you know, should we buy this company or what about this new technology or like, is this cultural thing a problem? And you have to constantly be assessing those incoming problems and giving some kind of response. And maybe that response is, don't worry about it for these three reasons. And I've already thought about it. Or maybe that reason is, yes actually you're right like that should be a major focus for the next three months and we need to turn around the organization to deal with that you know really quickly um but being able to sort of not get thrown off course too much and constantly feel these kinds of questions and challenges um to a high level i mean like a high level of of quality in the responses that's the real challenge i think does it come does it come with practice or is it something that actually if you're good at it 
you're good at it. You know, you can deal with it. I, I think I think you can probably um, get a long way by just being yeah aware of that that's what's going to happen and then thinking about what is your response to those types of things going to be and and yeah i'd certainly try and think about it in terms of yeah, can you almost set yourself some slas and like service level agreements that you're gonna live by so do you always respond to comments from the ceo you know, within an hour or that day or do you always like write up a particular style of note or speak to x many people like, i think if you start to think about it in that way, then it becomes a little easier to um, process those those requests. And you don't have to think from first principles every single time, like, wait a sec, what are we doing here? How important is it? Like, yeah. you know, um, and go from there. And then, so what is a good bit, good bit of advice? I mean, this whole thing, this, this whole time we've been speaking has, has been great advice. What would you say? Well, I, I've, dis- I've, I tailored, I suppose, my questions more towards the differences between head of, director, VP and, and CPO. Um, but thinking of those people that are maybe at the start of their CPO journey, they've just landed mm-hmm. a job, just got the promotion. They're a VP with the promise of something in the new year or the end of this year, a change into CPO. What what other advice would you give them at the start yeah. of their journey that's going to make the rest of the year far far smoother and far easier yeah so ceos typically have i don't know like maybe five or six really core problems that they want to solve and they will try and uh, offload maybe half of those to key members of the exec so if they're worried about the shape of the pnl or they're worried about the performance of the you know engineering team that might be one of their main concerns and what they want is someone who can take that whole problem and give them confidence that they can tackle it and just come back with it solved with, with basically no inputs. Just take that anxiety away from them. So really understanding in depth what are the major anxieties that your, your CEO has and which of the worries that you can take off their plate and you can successfully you know, shield them from, that is really, really critical. Yeah, both because you'll demonstrate real value to the CEO, but also likely if you can't do that, they might replace you for someone that they think can do that. Yeah, yeah, very true. Are they, and in your experience, are they completely and utterly isolated concerns or has, is there a general theme that you found when, when working with CEOs? It, it will vary very much from company to company. So um, in some companies that might be the shape of the PL because they are gearing up for IPO and it needs to look a particular way to get the valuation they want. For others, it might be the growth rate um, or it might be uh, have they got product market fit. Um, so this will often be linked to sort of, you know, is the business successful as a whole? Um, and you know, how comfortable do they feel that they have the confidence of the board and able to deliver on what the board's expectations are? Um, so yeah, understanding the board dynamics and what the individuals there expect of the company, um, that's that could be really important as well. That's that's 101. First day, first day of, of your new role, just take everything off the board that they don't well learn what the, the, the board wants you to do. They're the pain points. Yeah. And then moving on from there, what about the next kind of 
month, two months, three months, do you think it's just alleviating those stresses? I think you've obviously got to do the, the stakeholder management bit of both starting to build relationships with your peers on the exec and understand their concerns and understand where they need your help and where you can expect help from them. Um, you've got to start being really sure that the people reporting into you, you can trust to kind of run their bits of the organization because you will not have time to go to all the product reviews or do the architectural review every time. Like you, you need to be able to have people who, if you just left them, they would do fine. And then you can concentrate on giving them context. And then I think the, you know, the other thing that I think is really important is you, know, you want to be driving the agenda as much as possible. So having a clear strategy and having a clear vision of where you're going allows you to, you know, it gives you something to knock back some of these incoming requests. Because you, you can basically, you can go to the CEO and say, like, hey, look, this is my strategy for what we should be building. This is my product talk strategy for how I'm going to further increase the you know, level of maturity and the output from the from the product tech function. Like, do you agree that these this is the right direction? Because if they say yes, then a lot of these other things that come in, you can be like, okay, this you know new technology mm, doesn't feel as important as the yeah you know, the strategy that we've got. Fine, doesn't need a big answer. M and A this this company mm, doesn't really feel like it's important as this thing. Right, stick it to one side. So you can use it as a way of saying no to a lot of other things. If you don't have that, then you end up fielding all these these requests like piecemeal, and that sucks time away from you actually then developing the the, the strategy and the vision that you need. And that's not when you fall into that track. Correct me if I'm wrong, but it's fair to say that you're not really then taking the role of a CPO. You might have it by title, but if you're falling into that trap very easily, and just dealing with requests and and trying to farm through everything. That, You're not utilizing yeah. your skill set as a CPO. Is probably the better way. Of, of... Yeah, I mean, the level of requests you're going to get is going to be a different order of magnitude to ones that you've yeah, seen yeah. before. This won't be build this feature. This will be sort of, as I say, it'd be more on the lines of like, oh, can you help out meet some investors, or can you come to this, you know, board meeting? But even so, it's going to have the same effect that you're, yeah, you're not going to be able to deliver what you want, and it's likely that you're not going to stick around as CPO for very long. Like C- CPOs do not have a long half life. Um, it's it's a tough job. No. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully that's a great um, a great way to to entice people into to being a CPO. <laughs> it's tough. It's giving you lots of headaches, um, and you you've got to make sure the CEO and the board are fine. That that's the uh, that that's your role. Um, and I will say this because it will be edited. It's essentially a babysitter for the board <laughs> while actually really running the business. That's that's the CPO agenda. Yeah. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you. I think we've we've covered. I think far more than in my mind I thought we would, you know, the, the journey from head of the different stages, the mindset shift. Um, you, you gave a, a bit of a tick list of, of to do's um, advice as well for the guys. So I really, really appreciate it. And then once you've hit that CPO level, and I suppose this is more of a, a, a personal question than a general question. The next step is founder. So. I didn't ask at the beginning, but I, w- I will now. Tell us, tell us what you're up to now. Yeah, so um, I'm I'm now running Hustle Badger, and 
yeah, EdTech or education's been a long time passion of mine. It was what took me to FutureLearn. Um, it's actually my second startup in the in the education space. Um, you know, and, and I think largely because I haven't found that a lot of my career, I've had to put together the support and the information that I needed to progress myself. And I felt yeah, it wouldn't be wonderful if there was just more support uh, for people, particularly in newer newer careers like like product management. And you know, the world is changing fast. Like there are always new careers and new things popping up, and people need to learn how to do these new new jobs. So that that's how we originally got into it. Now, Hustle Badger, yeah, we provide very pragmatic, very kind of down to earth advice for for product managers initially. Um, and that basically means yeah, we've got we've got a wiki, we've got courses, we've got a community, and those all come together to give you a kind of one stop shop of high quality but affordable advice and guidance. Wonderful stuff. Well, best of best of luck to you with that. I'm sure I'm sure if I'm sure I'm following Hustle Badger already, but if I'm not, then uh, then I certainly will be. Um, and then if anybody if anybody out there watching this is not yet a head of and not yet a director and and is in that early stage POPM, then it's great for them to know as well. So really, really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure speaking with you, Ed.